0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another fine edition of Tech Move. We want to welcome each and every one of you. I am Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Keith, how are you today? I'm great, Rod. Thanks. Excellent, excellent. Well, you have reached the right spot when you want to hear about digital filmmaking, gear, Mac computers, and iOS devices with kind of a different spin on things you've reached us right here at tech move thanks so much for joining us remember that you can always subscribe to our podcast on itunes so just get to itunes and type in the word tech move and you will find us there subscribe to us you can also find us at our facebook site find us there and like us But you can also get to us on our regular website, which is techmovepodcast.com.
1: Did I miss anything, Keith? Well, Rod, no, you got it all. We are planning to start up a presence on Google+, Plus as well as Twitter. So we'll be announcing that on our website. So just stay tuned for that.
0: Ooh, awesome. A Twitter account. Very, very nice. Folks, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up for you today in today's episode. We've got a continuing, continuing story. It's the Drop the Bomb segment where he talks about whether or not his next Mac is going to be a PC. It's an ongoing story. It's one that you won't want to miss, so stay tuned for that one. We're also going to talk a little bit and review a little bit about Cinema Projectors. That's going to be very, very interesting. And last but not least, one of our other favorite segments that we have on the show is the "Put Me in a Coma" segment. Well, you just wait for that one, folks, and you'll be needing a defibrillator immediately after that. So, all that plus much, much more, right here on Tech. You're listening to Tech. In our last episode, we left a wonderful discussion that Keith and I have been having, and we want to bring this next portion of it to you right now. Is Keith's next Mac going to be a PC? Here is where we left it off. Keith just purchased a PC,
1: and now let's hear the rest of the story. And maybe just 50% faster. So, anyway... This week, I actually um, ordered a PC.
0: (gasps) (laughs) That's incredible. Really? Wait, wait, wait. Uh, This shocks me. I am beyond shocked right now. It's very shocking to hear this from you.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you got to work, right? You got to have good tools to work. You can't just keep waiting for a company to hopefully come out with something that's usable. The thing that was so great about Apple, up until the time that I got my Mac Pro 2008, was that they took some pride in coming out with the fastest computer that was out there. Every time they came out with a new computer, they would advertise it. This is the fastest computer ever. And it really was. Eventually, they would be surpassed, you know, six months later or a year later. But when you bought that Mac, it was one of the fastest computers you could get, Mac or PC. But I don't think they care about that so much now. I don't think they care that much about speed. I think they care more about features and user experience. And the speed is for the crazy people that are enthusiasts that aren't really the the core Mac customer at this point. The core Mac person is somebody that's maybe not that familiar with computers, not a power user, not a professional necessarily, but just a consumer that wants a very easy, hassle-free experience. You know what? Before we get into that, let me ask you... Well,
0: let, let me just ask you something... From a PC standpoint, because this is what we used to do uh, uh, way back when, was you know, new processor came out. If you had the same, if you had the, the motherboard that you know could expand and all this, all you did was pop in a new processor. Can you not do that with a Mac
1: motherboard? You can, but this particular uh, Mac that I have, you you could put some new processors in it that would that would be faster but not much faster i i researched it a little bit right and it just wasn't worth it it was like risky uh would cost $500 for some used processors maybe get 15 20% more out of it not worth it
0: okay all right you know it's, okay.
1: just, it's for the for the trouble of digging into the computer and only getting 20% faster right and and also the heat issues. I, I read about people that had done this, and their fans are going faster, and it's just not worth it.
0: Probably making more outside noise and all this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing that's great about the Mac Pro is it's pretty quiet, even when it's working hard. Now, this is just a little bit of a trial, because I just need to see what the experience is like in Premiere Pro on a faster PC. Okay, so, you know, the, the, the thing that
0: is, is really weird is how... During the, the keynote, when they're referencing the new MacBook Pros, the airs and you know all their, their new line of all their laptops and how they're using it for all these creative things uh, musicians, photographers, video. you know, they, they even actually, you know featured, uh, you know, the cinema camera we just talked about. And w- with that, you know, they're they're saying, oh, wow, these these laptops are, are, you know, who needs a Mac Pro anymore? You could use these laptops, you know, to do all your stuff now. And I, I think for the serious professionals like yourself, that's not exactly what you're looking for.
1: No, I think that those computers are awesome. And I think they have a lot of use. And I think if you're on the road and or you travel a lot and you're an editor or a filmmaker, I think they will be the best thing you could probably get in that small form factor, right. um, you could probably do a lot of stuff with it. You could probably use Final Cut Ten really well on those computers. But I'm I'm kind of committed to using Premiere Pro for the various reasons I stated. The only reason I'm considering the PC is because of Premiere Pro. There's there's really no other reason. Right. I want the experience to be fluid, efficient, and I don't want to be worried about Premiere Pro crashing on my Mac. I hear that it is a little bit more stable on the PC, we'll see. And just to have a faster editing experience, if I'm going to spend, you know, 20 to 40 hours a week editing, I want it to be as efficient as possible. Another thing that's come out, it's almost more of a rumor, I, I've never seen any proof of this, but people say it, which is that the Adobe, especially Premiere Pro, just works a lot more efficiently on PC, on Windows. I don't know if it's a Mac OS issue. Some of the PC proponents have said that. Some of the Windows proponents have said that because of the way the Mac OS is designed, it's not very good at multi-threading and is less efficient than the Windows OS. I don't necessarily agree with that because I know there's a lot of you know science apps, they really tax the multi-threading on the Mac and they're used a lot on the Mac. So I don't necessarily believe that it's the Mac's fault or Apple's fault. It might just be that Adobe is not optimized for the Mac.
0: Right.
1: But regardless of it's Mac's fault or Adobe's reason, the fact is, is that Adobe Premiere Pro at least from what I've heard, works better on Windows.
0: You, you know, I got a real big question here for you. And I'm going to bet that your experience with a PC is going to be pretty darn good. And here's where the question is. When you get this PC, and I'm sure you're going to share with us the specs of it and all this kind of stuff and, and, and what uh, you have to look forward to. But am I going to guess that all you're going to have on there is Windows and then Premiere Pro? And that's it. You're not you're not putting anything else on there. Of, of course, all the other things that go with Premiere Pro. But really, you know, your day to day computing and stuff like that, you're still sticking with the Mac.
1: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to convert my whole life <laughs> right to Windows. Right. I do use Windows in in many situations. Right, work situations. Work situations and and having to make sure things are compatible. Sometimes I'll use certain apps that are only available on Windows, but the rest of my life is is based on the Mac. Right. In that way, it's very, very efficient. It, It works very well for me. You know, I think Spotlight is amazing to be able to find things quickly if you have files spread all over the place, the way that things are organized. Besides the fact that I'm also very familiar with it. Right. I'm really a Mac Pro user, so I've spent you know, 20 years or whatever, learning how they do things. And so I'm very efficient at that. Right. Not so much with Windows, although I think it's really similar. Yeah. At the same time, you know, Apple has provided all these great things, you know, like the whole iLife suite is is great. It's not like pro, but I still use it, you know? Yeah. And it integrates well. You, You can share different media and different applications on your iOS devices or your Mac. They've really integrated their system very, very well. I don't think Windows has that. I think Windows is kind of a mishmash of different things.
0: Well, that's going to be very interesting, and that and that's why I think that your experience by using a PC is probably going to be pretty good, because you you know like everyone else who has a PC, you know they bog down you know their systems with you know not only these you know creative things but also productivity right house stuff uh you know Word Excel. PowerPoint, you know, they bring the work home, do that on there. And and so the computer is going to get, you know, cluttered up with stuff. You are simply going to be using this machine as a, you know, digital editing station. And and really, that's it. So that ought to actually run really super fast. It's like having a, a clean computer and just having that one thing dedicated to it.
1: Yeah, it's almost like having an appliance. It'll, yeah. it'll be the Premiere Pro. Uh, dishwashing machine. That's all it's...
0: Right, that's I'm all not, it can
1: do. I'm not even going to like call it a computer. I've
0: put a pot roast in the dishwasher <laughs> and it, for some reason the botulism just won't go away. Funny, I don't know. But Alright, well... That, Speaking uh, okay.
1: of pot roast, you could probably cook something in this new PC. It's like <laughs> overclocked 4.9 gigahertz. <laughs> With no water cooling. No, there's no cooling at all. You <laughs> you have to cool it by baking stuff in it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we'll see how that works share, share with us the
0: details of the specs of what kind of PC you you ended up getting to to maximize Premiere Pro
1: Well, I did a little a little bit of research there's a, you know the thing is there's a lot of resources out there on the Premiere Pro on the Adobe site and also on Creative Cow about hardware, mostly right. on the Adobe site. there's also this huge database of uh, benchmarks. So you can run this program, if you have a Windows machine, they don't have it for Mac, but if you have Windows, you can actually run this program on your Windows machine and see how fast Premiere Pro is going to be on your machine. Right. They have the CPU and and all the different specs of the computers um, in this database. So you can kind of tell what makes something faster. So my Mac Pro and the way that the Mac Pros work is they use a Xeon processor, Mm -hmm. or Xeon actually, uh, X-E-O-N, Right. And that's the line of Intel processors that allows you to use two separate processors together. They can actually intercommunicate and, and do multi, multitasking with the two processors. They're kind of linked. So that's a special uh, server class series of processors. And they tend to be not necessarily individually faster, but they tend to be very robust and they tend to be a lot more expensive. So that's one of the reasons the Mac Pros are more expensive. But from what I researched, they don't really result in any extra speed on Premiere Pro. Mm. just the way it works so i decided to save several thousand dollars and i just got the six core newest version of the i7 intel processor uh, nice unit and it has the ability to be overclocked yes so i can overclock it to between 4.2 and 4.7 gigahertz wow (laughs) that's really super fast yeah so i'm going to see how it works i may actually wind up returning it unfortunately there's like a 15% return charge, but it's almost worth it to just try it out and to see what the experience is going to be like. I still have to figure out how it's going to integrate with my Mac. Maybe I'll get a KVM. I've had them in the past and they were pretty expensive. So I might get a a KVM switch between my Mac and Windows. There's also some programs you can use in Windows that will allow you to remotely look at the Mac. So maybe while I'm in the Windows environment, I'll still be able to control my Mac if I need to rather than switching over the KVM and just being at all Mac or all PC. Yeah. Something like that. It's, it's not going to be trivial. It's going to be kind right. of a lot of trouble. And also all my drives are formatted for Mac. Right. The program I'm going to use is, call, is called Mac Drive. And I've actually used it before and it allows your PC to read uh, Mac disks. Oh, cool. And something that's not necessarily uh, sanctioned by Apple, uh, I might think about running uh mac os inside of the pc in virtualization mode ah nice yeah it's kind of the opposite of what we all do on our macs which is to run a mac and then run windows inside that in in Fusion or parallels right it's kind of the opposite it's not not done that often (laughs) and and then how about the whole
0: usb3 thing or are are you going to be able to do that now Yeah, the unit that I'm ordering comes with USB 3. Are you putting it together or did you buy your own, one
1: already put together? I researched it and found that they were custom makers that were pretty inexpensive and very well regarded. So I'm definitely not going to put it together because I've I've read horror stories about people spending months trying to get to work. Mm, mm -hmm. When I actually get it, I'll talk about the manufacturer and my experiences with them. I don't want to talk about it too much now before I actually get it, depending on how the experience is. <laughs> I got this box of parts because <laughs> <laughs> right. so, I didn't do anything I wanted it to do, yeah. Um, <laughs> because I might save like a thousand dollars if I did everything myself, right? But it's not worth it for all the hassle and not knowing what to do, it's just not worth it, yeah. So, well, that's so, great. Uh, how, how, how much RAM did you get with the thing? I got 32. Wow, that's great, yeah. So, and it's that's actually huge, yeah. RAM is so cheap now for these new PCs. Oh, yeah. It's just oh, amazingly they're, cheap. Oh, they're,
0: they're, they're really cheap. Did you get any hard drive space with it?
1: Um, I just got a smaller SSD, like 180 gigabyte SSD. Mm-hmm. And Which
0: is probably all you're going to need because all you're going to need it for is, uh, is 7 and uh, Premiere Pro,
1: right? Really? I think so. And then I'm just going to use my external eSATA uh, RAID units to, to do the, the data shuttling back and forth. We'll see how well that works good i think the chassis has the ability to add drives in it and create a create a hardware raid sure i think the motherboard can do that so i might do that if i need to but we'll see right we'll right. see right now i want to kind of keep it simple so that i can evaluate it but i want to return it it's not going to be overly expensive right exactly exciting that is exciting news well uh, when are you expecting this uh, new bundle of joy i'm expecting it within a week or two Nice. Yeah. Okay. So good. we'll see. Good. You know, I'll I'll try to edit some complex projects on it, and I'll report back. Yeah. Good. 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 We we look forward to to hearing about
0: that and uh, seeing what your experience is. You know, pretty much because of that, this will be our final episode of Tech Move.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> just kidding. Just
0: <laughs> kidding. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> Originally, Tech Move was was to talk about switching from the PC to the Mac. Right. Not from the Mac to the PC. <laughs> Now, now that our resident expert is
0: going the way I was just originally. So. All right, folks, thank you very much for coming. We really appreciate it. That was tech move. <laughs> but but you know what? You're, you're right, though. I mean, like if, if you're waiting around for this thing and it, and it doesn't come through, you can't sit around forever. You got to just make a move now. And, and, and that's what's going to happen. I mean, we'll see what happens. And maybe this will get Apple to get back to what they were famous for when they were first
1: getting popular. I think so. And actually, just as a side note, the day after WWDC, Tim Cook and Apple actually announced that they were coming out with a totally new Mac Pro in 2013. Oh, they did, huh? Yeah, they did. Even if I do keep this PC, you know, maybe I'll use it as a second, you know, rendering editing station and i'll get the new mac pro when it comes out if it's if it's actually worth getting mm-hmm. so we'll see so we'll see you know there's ways for it to work it's not just a replacement for the macbook forever just maybe for a year right right so, right and that'll be able to use its power later for something else or if i have a second editor you know assistant editor they can be editing on that sure they'll get the pc and i'll get the, the nice shiny new mac so <laughs> <laughs> right
0: <laughs> because because like a vehicle pcs once they come off the showroom floor they're worthless that second week after it comes out yeah and um, then like in a
1: couple of years we can use it as a boat anchor and
0: right exactly it's so slow <laughs> It only rendered my half hour footage in 10 seconds i need it done in three
1: exactly Exactly.
0: Well, that is exciting news that Keith has purchased now a PC and is well on his way to doing this fantastic test. But let's really see if he can really make this transition stick, shall we, ladies and gentlemen? So what we'll ask you to do is to tune in to our upcoming episodes of Tech Move as we learn more about Keith's experience in the PC world. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got another segment right here where Keith has a new review of a uh, different piece of AV
1: equipment. I think he has. Right? Is that is that right, Keith? Yeah, it's something, it's not exactly digital cinema, but it's something you might use if you're a filmmaker and you're doing screenings. Yeah, let's hear about it. Okay. I think I told you about this kind of preview promo screening that I did a week or two ago. And uh, I actually was thinking about getting a projector from my home anyway, and kind of creating a home theater thing to do screenings uh, in my home. Yeah. So right now I just have a couple 50 inch plasmas, like one in the bedroom and one in the living room, and they're nice. But they're kind of small. Right. I mean, they're really big when you first get them, but then, you know, after a while, they're kind of small, especially if they're far away.
0: Well, and especially when Walmart is selling them for like (laughs) $3.99. I
1: know. (laughs) I know. I can't believe it. The first, you you won't believe this, but I got one of the first Plasmas that was ever out. I remember. It was that that Panasonic, right? Yeah. It was a Panasonic broadcast uh, brand, and it was really highly reviewed. And guess how much I paid for it? Uh, uh, well, I kind of remember what it was,
0: so I'm not going to give yeah. uh, th- that information. You, you you can you can tell our listening
1: audience because this is great. So I think I got it in 2003 or 2004, and it was like $6,000. Right. <laughs> so, but right. luckily, it was it was a tax write off, but still, um, and it was it was awesome. Except, well, it actually had this technical problem with it that persisted for like a year and a half, and the Panasonic guy kept coming out to try to fix it. And finally, they gave up and gave me a new one so, a new newer model too. Nice, so that was kind of cool. Uh, they actually gave me a replacement of the same model and it had the, exactly the same problem. so then they gave me a new model <laughs> anyway. but just last year, I got a new plasma. It was actually better, I think better quality and had more inputs and everything and lighter and smaller and brighter and it was like seven hundred bucks right, so, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's but, what I love
0: about electronics. <laughs> That's what I love about electronics. I mean, the the y- y- you buy them and you walk them off the showroom floor, and it's worth about half
1: the 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 second you leave. I know. See now, luckily with in my business now, it's all tax write off. So yeah, that part's good. Sure, because um, I do use them legitimately for for my uh, videography business. But anyway, I needed to have a projector for the screening, and I was going to rent one, but I thought, well, maybe I'll just buy buy one, and if I don't like it, I'll return it. So I, I looked on Amazon, and I found what I thought was a really good deal on a 1080p projector that had lumens of 3,500 ANSI lumens. So wow. That's, that's really bright. Yeah. Um, and I was going to be projecting in an environment that was maybe not completely dark, so I wanted to have as much brightness as possible.
0: Sure. Because that's the problem with these uh, projectors is sometimes in, in w- well-lit rooms, you, it's just worthless.
1: Yeah. And and about five or six years ago, I had another film that we did a lot of projections in various environments. It was a partnership, and we bought a projector back then, an Epson. And back then, the projector was starting to get a little bit cheaper and higher quality. Uh and that was like $2,000, and it was less lumens than this one. So I was just kind of interested in reinvestigating the whole projector technology scene. So... I went on Amazon, I looked at this projector, got lots of good reviews, I looked it up a little bit. Um, it's actually not a 1080p native projector, it's a 720p projector, but in this particular situation it didn't matter, because people weren't going to be that close to it. Right. And I was going to be projecting on about a 10 foot screen, mm-hmm. it didn't have to be super large. So I went ahead and ordered it, it was 699 which I think was a pretty good deal for this level of quality. I got it, and it was just, it was awesome. Really? It was Yeah, it was actually pretty small, pretty light, really easy to control. It had, had a remote, and you could adjust various things on it, color and, and other adjustments. And it looked really good. So it's the ViewSonic PJD-655-3W. I think the thing that I liked the best about it was the user interface was pretty good to set it up. And it was very simple. Uh, the focusing and zooming was, was quite simple, and... It was small enough where it was not a burden, and it had several inputs in the back. So I, I just basically, I just plugged my MacBook Pro, and I have this adapter that converts from the display port to an HDMI port, and then I just plugged an HDMI cable directly from my MacBook Pro into this projector, and it worked flawlessly. Do,
0: do these new projectors, do they have things like AirPlay built into it? Does it have that kind of technology?
1: I actually do think it had it, but I didn't use it. Oh, okay. um, it, ha- it, it does have an Ethernet port in it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you have certain applications, um, probably Windows-based, you can probably pump stuff through that. But I didn't even get into that. I didn't have time. I just, HDMI is really simple. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and, it, and it worked really well, and it was fairly quiet. And it it turns on and turns off pretty quickly. Back in the old days, I remember you needed to turn them off, and then about 10 minutes later, they would actually turn off because they had to cool down the lamp and so it wouldn't blow up and get too hot. Before you actually unplugged it, so uh, this one turns off in a few seconds. That's pretty neat. How uh,
0: ViewSonic has has come up and and is uh, uh, doing really good uh, products now because I, I I you know like you, uh, my brother in law had purchased a Epson projector like oh two three years ago or something like that and thought it was great and all this kind of stuff but you know ended up returning it and. You know, because th- where he had it, he had to set up the screen all the time. He couldn't just leave it up. Um, oh, yeah. So it just took up a little too much room. At least the screen did. And But now, gosh, they're so small. I mean, now you have all these great projectors and business applications that, you know, just are, are, are just, you know, so small, but yet pretty powerful and, and great
1: looking. Yeah, this is really an example of technology really improving just in five years, mm-hmm. just getting maybe a fourth the price of a similar projector back then, right. and, and it's much smaller. Um, another thing about this particular projector is that it has a speaker in it.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: Yeah, which actually was kind of annoying because um, I didn't know how to turn it off. <laughs> it was- well, how, how, how big of an image did you project 10-footer? So the screen size was about 100 inches across. It was a 16 by 9 screen. I guess the diagonal is more like 120. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was t- a 10-foot diagonal screen. And
0: uh, how did it do as far as the, that brightness issue that we were talking about
1: earlier, on? It was great. Really? It was great. It was plenty bright. Um, we did a little bit of room darkening. We put some uh, blackout on the some of the windows that were exposed and then drew blinds on the windows that, that had them. And it actually worked really well. I was a little concerned about it though. It was going to be too bright, Mm. but it was fine. The, the area where the screen was located, it was quite dark and there was enough contrast. And then it got to be nighttime by the middle of the show. So there was no issue. Oh, that's great. That's,
0: that's, that's terrific. Uh, are you going to keep this item?
1: No, (laughs) no, I don't. I don't think I'm going to keep it simply because I want to use it in my home, and I did notice that since it's a 720p projector, it's okay if you're not watching that close, but if you are watching fairly close, you can tell that it is 720p.
0: Mm -hmm. Right,
1: especially magnified at that size of a 10-foot screen. Right, if you're watching from over 10 feet away, then it probably doesn't matter. But if you're watching less than 10 feet, you can definitely see that it's a little bit blurrier than a 1080p. At the same time, I'm also evaluating a few other true 1080p projectors. Mm-hmm. And so there's another ViewSonic that's actually a true 1080p. It's a little bit bigger, just slightly more expensive. I think it's like $100 more. It's actually really nice. It's a really nice one. Maybe we can talk about that later. But that, that has some good and bad points. It's, it's a bit bigger, so not quite as portable. Uh, it does come with a case, whereas this one I just talked about does not. So there's some good and bad points. But I think that ViewSonic is really coming up. And you can, of course, check all this stuff out on our website. We'll probably have a, a link to it if you're interested more in these products.
0: Are you looking at uh, LED projectors, DLPs? What, what, oh,
1: do you have a preference? I think that most of these are DLPs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, DLP for the lamp, the normal lamp, kind of conventional lamp system. Is that correct? And then the LED. I don't think that any of the ones that I'm considering are the LED ones. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're asking? Well, it's just like uh, flat screen TVs that are out there, right? You have,
0: you know, you have your plasmas, you have your LEDs, you have your DLPs. For, yeah. For some reason, like I have a very old school um, Mitsubishi projection TV. You know, a uh-huh. fifty thousand pound gorilla in my living room. I remember that. Thank you. And you know, they That's actually in the Smithsonian, <laughs> too. Right, it's, you know, what's so fantastic. If I, if I, if it breaks down and I need to get it out of the house, you would think a projector of this size would, you know, would be attractive to somebody, but it's not, I think I would have to pay people to take it away from me. Nobody would want such an archaic antiquated thing like, like this. Anyway, <laughs> but it's big though, it, you know, it, it, it's a 73 incher, right? So, yeah. it, so it's pretty, it's pretty good size, but you know, uh, Mitsubishi also, you know, puts out these, you know, what, 83 inch DLPs. They never had, I don't think they had them for LEDs. Uh, they certainly didn't have them for plasmas, but, uh, you know, DLPs seem to be, they, they could get a lot bigger picture out of DLP for some reason. I don't really hmm. never understood why, hmm. but anyway, yeah. so this projection technology, you know,
1: they have both two LCD L, uh, DLP. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm getting a little confused between the LCD and the DLP and the led. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. That's true too. So, yeah. cause, cause I guess there's some that have That's actually true. led lamps, right? That's true. That's exactly yeah. right. And, I guess they're getting, the LEDs are getting powerful enough to actually be a lamp, but previously they hadn't. But, um, honestly, I'm not, there's so much to, to know about this projection stuff. I'm oh, really, I, know. I actually, I'm kind of a newbie in the projection stuff. You, you you just want
0: something to play that plays nice and, and looks good and all this kind of thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm evaluating a few and, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep any of them, but I think it would be kind of nice to have like a nice movie night type thing where you have a 10-foot screen. Luckily, my neighbor <laughs> is pretty much willing to lend me their 10-foot screen anytime. Oh, wow. I basically put these hooks in the ceiling right. that um, I just put the little sockets. Essentially, they're, I just drilled into the ceiling joists and I put these sockets in and then uh, I can unscrew the hooks so there's really nothing exposed. So the ceiling's actually fine. And then when then I want to... Mount this gigantic screen. I can just put the hooks in and then lift the screen onto it. Right. It's not this big in position for my house. That's pretty good. Yeah. I don't have to have a special room for it or anything. Yeah. Is it a daylight
0: um, screen?
1: Yeah. This particular model is a daylight that seems to have an issue about not wanting to roll up to the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 50,000 tries later. Oh, All right. we got it. <laughs> good. excellent but that's okay it's free (laughs) so the review is
0: that uh the uh the projection tv is certainly something you're looking into you haven't found the exact one uh you're looking at yet uh and there is more to come there's more to come on that uh on that front would you say i think
1: so i think this might be as long of a story as the pc
0: story (laughs) but. but 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 this is obviously something that we'll we'll get settled here because you're 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 gonna buy one one of these uh, probably sooner than later i think so yeah. i think so we'll, we'll see how it works out right i'll I'll keep you posted good good excellent well hey that's our that's our review of the uh view
1: sonic what is it it's the view sonic six five five three w that's easy to remember Anyway,
0: it's such a catchy name. Such a, such a you can follow it on our uh, links on our website. Uh, we'll we'll post it there, and uh, you can uh, take a look for yourself. See if that's something that uh, you are interested in. In the meantime, thank you again, Keith, and uh, we'll be back right after this. And we are back. Thank you very much for sticking around with us. Now comes one of my favorite segments right here. Uh, And I know it's one of Keith's very favorite segments. And it's the put me in a coma segment. This is where Keith tells us something just so eye-opening that uh, our eyes will actually roll to the backs of our heads. Keith, what say you today? What are you and how are you going to put us
1: in a coma? What are you going to talk about today? I am going to talk about the evolution of codecs.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's perfect. Okay, hang on, let me get my toothpicks to stab in my eyes. Here <laughs> we go. Let's go.
1: Okay, when we deal with video, even when we're watching TV, we're dealing with codecs. And if you haven't heard the word codex, then, well, now's
0: the time to learn. I, I've, I've heard of it, you know, uh, isn't it true that whenever you get a kind of a new computer and stuff like that, sometimes like if you, you know, are watching videos and stuff like that, you need to download some different codecs in order to play them back on your
1: computer. Right, right. So codec is spelled C-O-D-E-C, and it's a kind of a amalgamation of two words. It stands for compressor and decompressor. Hmm. Because usually you have to compress something in order to get it into a certain form and then decompress it in order to use it. In reality, if you're dealing with anything digital, and and we're in a digital age right now, you are dealing with codecs, whether you know it or not. Did not know that good information. Right. So when you're listening to your iPod, you know, jamming on tunes down the street and, you know, not really looking at the traffic and then having, <laughs> having a little accident. Right? you are dealing with a codec. At that that point. codec
0: is running in the background while
1: you're getting in a wreck. It's there. Or when you're watching TV, watching something from Netflix and it's streaming this movie to your TV, you are using a codec at that point. Or when you bring out your camcorder, you're using a codec. So you're using a compressor and a decompressor. So when you're acquiring the information, whether it's sound or visual or a combination of both, or it could even be a photograph. You're taking that information and you're, and you're compressing it, usually. And, and the reason for this is that analog information has an almost infinite amount of data in it. If you look at an analog signal, it's, it's got an infinite level of levels over time. Us talking to each other right now, right? we're expressing something in an analog form. You know, it's, it's air and vibration coming out of our bodies the microphone is also taking that as an analog form and there's an infinite number of levels of information it's really an infinite quantity of information so you have to figure out a way our engineers figured out a way to take that information and put it into a form that would be a good representation of that analog information and then put it into a digital format so even right there there is a form of compression going on you're taking something that's infinite and you're converting it into something that's finite. Are you with me?
0: Uh, uh, oh, ooh. boy. <laughs> oh, wow, thank you. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, thank, no, I'm just,
1: <laughs> just kidding. Continue. As, as, as you need higher and higher fidelity, you need to take that information and get closer to that infinite number of levels that are in that information. And it's, it's difficult to do. Because recording media just cannot hold that much information. The capacity of things is getting larger, but there's still really not that infinite capacity. And as we want higher fidelity formats, for example, the difference between standard definition video and high definition video is a pretty big jump in how much data uh, needs to be stored. Well, the codecs need to be even more sophisticated. So basically, long story short, a codec is a way of compressing information in order for it to fit in a practical format. Because if you didn't do that, it just wouldn't fit. You'd you'd be able to get one second of material instead of 10 hours of material if you didn't have compression.
0: I have a question.
1: Sure. Is a codec at
0: both ends, meaning the recording side of things and the playback side of things? It is. It's it's at both sides. So like... uh, you and I are using microphones right now. Right. There's a certain codec for the recording of our voices. That's right. And then, of course, when our fine listeners have downloaded this podcast and are listening back on whatever device they are, they, of course, need a, a, a codec
1: on, on that end. That is correct. hmm Mm-hmm. hmm Interesting. So here's the thing, Rod. When you're acquiring the information, you're using the compressor part of the codec. Mm -hmm. So you're taking that information and you're compressing it down to something that can be stored. And then when you're listening to it or viewing it, then you're using the decompressor part of the codec. It's expanding it back out into that analog realm. Mm -hmm. So it's taking that compressed digital realm and expanding it into the analog realm so that we can watch it. And there have been some really clever people that have been inventing these codecs over the years. It's kind of like a technological race. It's, it's, it's almost like the space race of the 60s. There's this race to see how well you can compress something. And it's gotten better and better. I'll just give you a very simple explanation of compression. For example, we've heard of the term JPEGs. Correct. They're just ubiquitous. Throughout the internet, all images are compressed with the JPEG codec. Yep. It is a way... To look at all the information in the image and actually throw away information that's not necessary. Probably if you've used Photoshop or some other image editing application and tried to save it as a JPEG, it's asked you what quality do you want. Right. Like maximum or minimum. And you probably noticed that when you choose minimum quality, it doesn't look very good. It's kind of blocky and low fidelity.
0: Well, it's the same thing within an actual camera when when you do settings. Most of the people. You want to do high quality settings,
1: but uh, they do have the ability to do lower quality if you need to. Right. And because lower quality, you can save space. If you want to be able to take 3,000 pictures in one trip and you only have one card, you're going to have to choose low quality. Right. So you get a lot of pictures, but each one is taking less space but the result is lower quality. Right. If space is not a concern, then you choose high quality. So the way that that particular codec works, and, and most codecs, in fact, in the, in the modern age, is they look at the information and they look at the differences between adjacent, uh, in this case, pixels. And if the information is the same, like say I was taking a picture of you against a black background. So it was really just you, maybe your face, and then the rest of it was black. So most of the image was actually black. And the only thing that had detail was in your face. Well, the codec would analyze that and say, oh, there's a whole bunch of black pixels here. I'm just going to represent all those pixels as one one big black pixel. Mm -hmm. And so you save a whole bunch of space there. And it just keeps doing that all the way across the whole picture. And it says, oh, this is almost black. I mean, you really wouldn't be able to tell the difference between this black and this black. So I'm just going to make it all the same black. And so you can take a picture that would normally be like 10 megabytes and squeeze it down to one megabyte or less. Because the codec is smart enough to throw away stuff that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Now, if you choose a lower quality, like a higher compression rate, then it's going to start throwing away things that maybe do matter. Uh, maybe with a discerning eye, you could see the difference. And that's the difference between a very high level and very destructive compression, or a very low level and less destructive compression. So that's why you know, we talked a little bit on the previous show about RAW format recording, when we talked about the Blackmagic digital cinema camera, Right, that is actually has the ability to record a raw format. That is not throwing away any pixels. It's actually keeping all the pixels, whether they're the same or not. So you could be taking a picture of a completely black background with maybe just one point in the middle that has a little bit of detail, but it would just save every single black point in that whole image, giving it the same weight and same data storage as a detailed portion of that picture, like in the middle even though that detailed portion of the picture is only 5% of the whole picture. All that black is taking 95%, and that detailed part is taking 5%, and there's no discerning between the two types of the image. So that's the definition of RAW. But you're guaranteed to get as perfect a representation of the image as you can possibly get.
0: Right, and and that's why editors love to have that kind of uncompressed type of image, because you can really manipulate every pixel that's in there.
1: Right, nothing's been thrown away, um, the edges of things are perfect, or as perfect as they can be with the lens and other things that you're using. So, yeah, in a perfect world with unlimited storage and unlimited processing power, a raw type of acquisition would, would be ideal. But it's not a perfect world. And it especially comes to play when you're trying to stream this information. So this is fine and dandy when you're actually on your own on your, with your 32 gigabyte card, on your camera, or your 64 gigabyte card. You have a lot of space. You can afford to waste a lot of storage space in this original acquisition and have a very low compression ratio. But what if you want to take that image and you want to send that to somebody over the internet? Right. It's too, way too big. It's, it's too big. It would take a really long time and, and people don't want to wait that long for stuff. So you might want to compress it. And if you want to get it to that person quick or if you have a slow internet connection, you want to compress it more. So there are some practical considerations for compression. It's especially apparent in the transmission of digital video. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history about digital video and compression in that. So in the early days of digital video, uh, and that's not that long ago, You know, maybe 20 years ago. It's, it's not that long. I, before that, it was analog. So digital video is not that old. It was compressed in a format similar to a JPEG. It would take one frame, and it would compress it as if it were JPEG. And then it would take another frame and compress it as if it were JPEG. So each frame stood on its own. There's a term for that type of compression. So there's two different kinds of uh, compression used nowadays in um, digital video. And it's a, a little bit confusing because they, they kind of sound similar. Right. But there's intra-frame compression and there's inter-frame compression. Okay, it's it's tra versus Right, it's, <laughs> it's very like, subtle. Well,
0: no, well it's, it's very much like internet, which is uh out in the world, and intranet, which is within, in lack of a better term, within your own little organization or within your own little network.
1: That's a pr- that's a pretty good analogy, and that's a really good way to remember it. So, Rodney, yeah, it's it's pretty much what you said, but just the opposite. <laughs> okay, so everybody listening there, what Rodney just described. Just reverse that and that's it. So, so there is no logic to it then. <laughs> there is no logic. I mean, who thinks of these things? Right. No, actually, Rod, you're, you're correct. I think the way that we should try to remember this is to think of inter as between frames, like international as between countries, right. and intra is within the frame, uh, mm-hmm. within a country or within a state or within a, a network, like you talked about. Yep. So, inter. Means using multiple frames, and intra means using just one frame. Right. So intra frame codecs actually just compress each frame individually without any relationship to the other frames, and in a way that's a more pure form of compression than uh, inter frame, which actually uses the differences between adjacent frames to form the moving picture. However, there's advantages to both, and there's disadvantages to both given a perfect world raw would be the perfect format right right it's just a, the best representation of reality without any guessing the the computer doesn't have to guess what the image looks like it's just representing it's taking one bit that's from the sensor and putting it onto the file and and then you're seeing that bit right the next best thing is intra frame where it takes one frame and it tries its best to compress it and then and then it forgets about that frame, and it goes to the next frame, and it does the best to compress that frame. That is probably the second best uh, representation of reality. However, it can have some disadvantages, because you can imagine that, just like in a JPEG, you could choose a high-quality JPEG or a low-quality JPEG. And if you choose a low-quality JPEG, then it's going to be inaccurate. If you choose a high-quality JPEG, it's going to be more accurate, but take more space. So the same thing occurs in video. So if you're using an intra-frame codec on video, part of the quality has to do with how, how much each frame is compressed. It's also going to take up more space than inter-frame. And I'm going to explain inter-frame. So I think, I think we've gotten the concept of intra-frame, which is, it's essentially just a bunch of still images that are compressed with JPEG. Okay and they're just one after the other. You know, like a flipboard, you know, like in the old days when they did animation, and you yep. you, you just like flip a book, and it, yep. it's basically like that, and each, each page in the book is a JPEG. Okay. Now, interframe is a very clever technique that actually uses time, the difference of the image over time to help compress the image, but not one at a time. It actually compresses them over a series of images, maybe 15 frames. So it'll take one frame, like say you start and you press record on the camera and you record for a second and then you stop. Say you're recording at 30 frames per second. 15 frames of that is going to be one segment of what it's going to be used to compress uh, that half a second of video. And so what it does is it takes the, f- the first frame and say it's you Rodney and you're, you're at the left side of the screen in that black background for example and by the half a second later by the 15th frame you're on the other side of the screen, okay? Now, not everything in that stream has changed from the very first frame to the 15th frame. Only maybe a little bit of the image has changed, just really you. The, the background's the same, it's still black, right? So that hasn't changed. So, that, so you don't have to waste any data in compressing that black stuff because the codec knows that the black that was over here in frame one is the same black that is over here in frame 15, it doesn't have to waste any precious space storing that information. It just says there's no difference in this between the beginning and the end of the set of frames. Right. What it does store is the differences in your movement. Okay, well here, this part of his face is here. This pixel is different here in the next frame. And then it it actually stores the differences between frame one and frame two and frame three. And then, at the end of that, it puts it all together into a half-second stream of movement. And you could imagine that you could save a lot of space that way. You're probably using a little bit like the JPEG single-frame compression, but you're also even saving more space by not even wasting any data on the stuff that hasn't changed at all over that time. So for simple sequences, it's actually very, very efficient. And the fidelity of you, if you're against a black background... The black fidelity is fine. You in that sequence of 15 frames will be really, really good because the codec is not wasting space representing stuff that hasn't changed. It's only taking space on stuff that has changed, and it's actually doing it in a very high-fidelity way because it actually has a lot less data to deal with. So that's kind of an advantage of that. Now, where that breaks down is there's a huge amount of movement between... The first frame and the 15th frame.
0: Like in, a, like in a sporting event or something like that? Yeah.
1: Anything where everything's changing. And you mm-hmm. may have even seen this. So this is used a lot in, um, in fact, it's used almost exclusively on digital streaming over the internet or through DISH or through cable. It's always using an interframe compression format of Kodak. You'll probably notice that in some scenes where like, there's a waterfall or there's a lot of movement, everything starts turning into big blocks. Have you right. ever noticed that? You mean like pixelation? Yes, pixelation. hmm Oh, I think everyone's familiar with that. Everyone's right. seen pixelation. Right. And it's actually pretty bad on dish and, and uh, cable because they're trying to push a lot of video through a pretty small pipe right. relatively. They're trying to push 100 channels of stuff all at once, and their bandwidth isn't that high. So they, they really do have to compress it a lot. So that blockiness that we see in those situations is because there's just too much detail for it to express. So, when the codec is trying to express too much movement within too short of a time, it starts making the pixels bigger because it can represent a much bigger pixel with a lower amount of data than a bunch of little pixels. Mm-hmm. So, that's the disadvantage of an interframe codec. Rod?
0: Boy, that. Uh... Well, okay. How about this? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. You know, I think we were talking er, in an earlier segment about the Blackmagic uh, cinema camera. Does it shoot in RAW? Yeah, it can actually shoot in RAW. So th- that's kind of like what we're, we're talking about,
1: right? Where it's uncompressed. So, well, actually, it's even more than intra-frame. Really? <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's actually RAW. It's like, it's not even necessarily compressing. Oh, it's not compressing frames. anything, whereas Intra at least compresses, but ever so slightly. It compresses each frame on its own, but the Blackmagic RAW, it might have a little bit of compression, but it might be lossless compression. Mm-hmm. There's a way to actually compress a frame without having any loss at all, and sometimes you'll be able to compress the frame a lot, and sometimes it won't be that much, because there's just too much detail. So it is possible to have a lossless form of compression, and that's not even an intra-frame compression codec. That's that's more of a raw. And that's where everyone's trying to get to, is that, w- wouldn't you say? That's probably what this Blackmagic Cinema camera actually uses, is a lossless form of compression, but it compresses each frame individually. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, y- you can pretty much be guaranteed that that is going to be as true to the sensor as possible. The codec right. is not guessing. It's, right. it's just, if it can't compress it without losing, it doesn't do it.
0: You know, everyone's very familiar with things like, you know, MP3s and stuff like that. Are codecs uh, just for video, or is it, w- would you also consider them for audio?
1: They're essential to audio. They're essential to anything that is transmitted digitally. They're used in every, every form of media that's transmitted digitally. They have to be. because So, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying they, they had to be developed because recording and media just could not store the, the real representations of the data. It would just take too much space. So these things right. were developed in order to, to be able to transmit them. So is
0: MP3 a codec?
1: It is. Uh,
0: AVCHD is a codec?
1: Well, AVCHD is more of a kind of a file structure that describes the relationship between a bunch of files that describe the video stream. The actual you, you
0: kind of call that a wrapper, is that right?
1: It's kind of a wrapper. And it uh-huh. specifies that a certain type of compression is used, and then inside that is the codec. So AVCHD specifies an H.264 codec.
0: Ah, that's what that is. OK. All right. yeah. So so a lot of the
1: file extensions are, would be considered codecs. A lot of them would be. Mm-hmm. Some of them aren't, some of them are just wrappers. For example, .mov, that's the QuickTime format. Right. It actually can contain pretty much any type of codec within it. So uh, .mov file could contain an intra-frame codec, such as dv, which is a codec. Mm-hmm. Or it could contain an inter frame codec, such as h.264. Mm-hmm. It really could mm-hmm. contain anything.
0: Which I'm sure a, a lot of our listeners have some familiarity with that because they see it all the time. Whenever you put your your SD card in the in the computer, or or you see something,
1: uh, you see some sort of file. A, a lot of those extensions are out there. Right, right. I'm just going to quickly go through a, a very short evolution of of these interframe codecs, the ones that actually use the differences between groups of frames. Yes. So the first really big one were DVDs. DVDs use MPEG-2 interframe compression. Yes, very familiar with that. They were still huge. They still took uh, eight gigabytes in mm-hmm. order to store maybe three or four hours of stuff. But the only way they could even store that much data was to use an interframe codec, such as MPEG-2. Now, MPEG-2 is kind of old-fashioned. It was developed a long time ago. It's still pretty good. It's used in professional media a lot. But now a lot of things are starting to move to the H.264 codec, which is an even tighter codec. It can actually compress video, especially, uh, much, much smaller than MPEG-2. Right. So that's starting to become more of a standard. And the reason that it's taken a little while for it to become a standard, even in editing, is that it takes a lot more computer power in order to decode that quickly. And you will notice this if you're using, a, for example, if you're editing in Final Cut Pro 7, it can edit MPEG-2 formats pretty easily. You can just drag an MP2-type file, such as XDCAMEX format, which is MPEG-2 compression. Okay. And you can actually scrub through it, and actually it's pretty smooth. If you drag an H.264 format into there, mm-hmm. it will be really stuttery, and you won't be able to edit. So you could drag, for example, the Canon EOS cameras is recording H.264 even though they have MOV extensions on the files, right. they're still compressed with that codec. You drag one of those into, into Final Cut, and you'd be lucky if you can scrub, even with a fast computer. It's, it, just, it just doesn't have enough computing power to decode that file very very easily. So right. I predict, and I, I think this is happening, as computers become more and more powerful, tighter compression formats such as H.264 will become more of the standard even for editing. And in fact, I'm using Premiere Pro and I'm editing H.264 files pretty easily. Well, you, you know, one last thing, because this is for my own personal thing.
0: MTS files, is that a codec?
1: MTS files is an extension that is pretty much exclusively used for H.264 compression. Mm-hmm.
0: So, it, so it's of the uh, H.264 family? It is H.264 compression. It just is. Then w- w- why wouldn't they use that as an extension instead of this MTS thing?
1: I, I could probably look it up. <laughs> that could, maybe that could be the next segment, the right. history of the naming of codecs.
0: <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Because y- everyone wants to claim it their own, right? I know the TS stands for transport stream. Mm. So Maybe movie transport stream, something like yeah. that. Probably more of a legacy thing. There was a .TS format a long time ago. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was used a lot. Yeah, in fact, if you look at DVDs, some of them are .ts. And well, and they still have the, the TS folders uh, right. in those file structures. Right, and that stands for transport stream. And mm. so MTS, I think, is based on that.
0: Well, you know what, Keith? You have done it again. Uh, honey, bring out the defibrillator. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that, uh, for that little bit of lesson. Uh, we will continue... The uh, coma segment in our next podcast, but uh, we want to thank you for the uh, for that little bit of lesson on uh, codex. We've learned a whole heck of a lot. I don't know how much I've retained, but thank you, Keith, for your efforts. And uh, we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Tech News. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us uh, for another wonderful edition of tech move. Uh, I had a wonderful time. Keith, how about you? I had
1: a great time. Thanks, Rod. Yeah,
0: it was it was a lot, of, it was a lot of fun. We were really having a terrific time doing these things, and we really hope that you guys are really enjoying listening to us. Uh, we want to remind you of a couple housekeeping things though, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, we want to remind you to visit us at our website, which is techmovepodcast.com. That is our website, but you can also find us on our Facebook site, and uh, we want you to go there, like us there. We always like being liked, don't we? We love being liked. <laughs> and then most importantly, you can also find us on iTunes, where we're there. You can pick up the podcast. We want you to subscribe and write us a review if you like us. Only, but I will say this, only review us if you like us. Otherwise, don't say nothing at all. What do you
1: What do you think about that? I don't know if you can leave a bad review on iTunes. We don't have any so far.
0: Good. That's the way I planned it. So anyway, go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, get it all the time. And there is a way that you can help Keith and I to keep this wonderful podcast on the air. And uh, Keith, why don't you let
1: the lovely audience know what's going down? Well, if you go to our website, techmovepodcast.com, we have show notes for each episode. And inside the show notes at the very end, there are actually uh, links to products, mostly links to Amazon, things you can buy on Amazon. All you need to do is click on one of those links. It doesn't mean that you actually buy that product. It just means that you click on it and then you get to the Amazon site. Then you can decide you want to buy that product from Amazon, or you can go to any other product on Amazon and, and purchase that. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be expensive tech gear. It could be something...
0: Oh, I don't know, like shampoo. Well, you know what I see, which is fantastic, is the Newman's Own Organic Adult Dog Food. So, I mean, go to the website. You can pick up your dog food right off of our website.
1: Yes, you certainly can. (laughs) I don't know why
0: that's there, but it (laughs) looks neat. I mean, it, it spaces very nicely on our website, gang. It's got
1: nice colors. It's nice colors. But we're going to be putting links up for a lot of the products that we talked about. And you can actually just look at it, look at the reviews, and then if you decide to buy it in that particular click-through, they're called, uh, we'll get a little bit of a commission on that, and that helps support the show. What
0: is it, like a a penny for every five clicks everyone does or something like that?
1: No, I think it's two pennies for 10 clicks. Very good. Something like that. I see the
0: residual checks just rolling in. I mean, it's just incredible. We're being
1: buried in pennies right now. (laughs)
0: Well that's going to do it for us. So we'll see you on the next episode of Tech Move.